You're listening to The Quad, a Killjoys podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Stephanie. And I'm Annie. We're talking about the premiere episode of Killjoys, Bangarang. While we will talk about anything and everything from the premiere episode, there won't be any spoilers for future episodes. First, we'll give our quick reviews, then we'll talk about notable elements and stuff that made us happy, and we'll conclude by discussing the questions we have after watching this week's episode. Let's get started with our quick reviews. What a fun premiere episode! I just had a really good time laughing at, at funny jokes. There were big jokes and some small jokes. I, I did feel like it was maybe a little mythology heavy. I watched it the first time, and granted, I was live tweeting, but I got to the end and I was like, a lot of that mythology went right over my head. Uh, but I really just had a good time watching the episode. Yeah, I really liked it. I liked that grungy sci-fi feel, again, that it had, some shows have, and uh, the ships and the outer worlds and as Stephanie mentioned, it, it's got a lot of mythology. It has has a lot to do with a lot of world building, and some of it I, I do need to watch the episode again. I've only watched it once, so I need to watch it and give give it a closer look to find out how all the class systems and the worlds shape up. But uh, I, I think it made a really exciting premise for the show, and things like how it's really interesting how mercenaries are so commercialized. That that being the premise. I, for one, loved it. Like, I really, really loved it. <laughs> they established the characters and relationships really well, I thought, which, of course, is, like, kind of my favorite thing about shows, generally. Right. And uh, and I'm already attached to a lot of the characters, and I'm just, I'm kind of digging the tone of the show. And it was mythology-heavy, but I like that kind of thing, so... No, I I love that sort of stuff, and I'm really interested in what they introduced, but it was just a lot to keep up with. I'm, mm-hmm. I felt like, okay, I need to go back and make some notes. I'm sure I'll get the hang of it, but some of it I felt they maybe could have saved to a little subsequent episode, because there was a lot in this first one. There was, and I mean, you're you're right. We were both live tweeting when it was on the first time, but I tend to rewatch shows anyway if it's something right. that I enjoyed, so... I've already watched yeah. the show a couple times, so yeah, after watching it a couple times, like, oh, oh, I caught that that time. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm a little behind because I watched Dark Matter, the premiere episode, quite a few times, and this week I was only able to watch Dark Matter and Killjoys once, and they're both such exciting shows. I'm like, oh, I want to watch them all again and catch everything, but with Killjoys, I just was so fascinated by like the different levels of kills and all of this you know, this whole world that has to be created from the ground up that I give credit to Emily Andrus and Michelle Loretta for just doing all of this. And I think it's great. It's a great start. Like you mentioned, Annie, I, the elements of the different classes in this world was really interesting to me. In this episode alone, we get we see there's indentured servants in this world. And they mentioned that if Johnny had been found out for taking a warrant above his grade, he could have been sentenced to I think she just says labor, but maybe she said hard labor. But the idea that, you know, labor sentences are a thing in this world. And they talk about how the the different moons are, are owned by the company. And you have to own a piece of ancestral land on Kresh in order to have a stake in the company. And I just, I find all of those class elements very intriguing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, of course, the bigger stake you have, the richer you are. And I found that really fascinating when it was, Dutch was talking about how if you have more money, you can afford a higher kill, like a level five. Again, I don't know if it goes from a one to five or a three to five, but 
just that killing is commercialized and the more influence and power you have, the better hit you can get on somebody. Because they seem to be the law enforcement of this world yeah. are these these killjoys mm -hmm. who go and find people. And some of them they're supposed to kill. Most of them it seems like they're supposed to bring back to be imprisoned. And, and they're paid for it in a per basis way rather than just the way that police officers are mostly paid in the United States and Canada, places like that, where it's like they get a salary regardless of what they're doing that day. You know, they get the same salary. Well, they're part of the system. They're not like exclusively the only law enforcement because they, they take that first guy that they get at the opening sequence. Mm -hmm. They take him and, you know, the, the guy who checks him in essentially is, yeah, I, I was going to be a killjoy, but then I realized that we do the real work and, you know, we see the officers come into the, the bar and stuff like That's that. That's fair. So. That's fair. Yeah. But yeah, they're, they're, I think, the equivalent of like marshals or something. Yeah. They kind of seem fair. to be a little bit on the fringes of the system. Like they're part of it, but not everybody seems to welcome them or like them. Well, and we had the introduction of this idea that they are, to use a word from Lost Girl, which Michelle Lovrata created, they are unaligned. She yes. says they don't have a side. The company has no authority over them. So they are these independent entities. Right. And apparently they have to give up their citizenship. 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 Thank you. That is the word I was looking for. <laughs> but just really interesting, really interesting stuff to me. I'm curious about how all of that stuff might come into play in exploring this universe. Yeah, they did set up a lot of interesting sociological kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Speaking of which, I it took me th uh, two viewings, but when they went to go see the the guy, I think his name is actually Alvis. I don't know that they said it in this episode, but according to IMDb, his name is Alvis. He's like the monk type guy that they mm -hmm. went to go meet. He referred to himself and people like him as scarred backs. Because as we see, he is, you know, suspended by these hooks in his skin. <laughs> it was unnerving. Right. Yes. And and the people around them, I forget the chant exactly, but they're basically saying, pay us and we will suffer for your sins. Huh. I missed that. So thank you for. Yeah, I was like, why is he doing that? And yeah, I got the feeling it was some kind of weird ritual. Yeah, I that was actually, I thought, a good way to introduce this concept because it's there. You have to go back to kind of catch it, though, because you're paying attention to the fact that he and Dutch are, you know, making eye contact. But they're they're chanting something to the effect of, if you pay the money, we'll suffer for you. So that's the view of, of religion that we've gotten so far in this universe. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it's a lot about this world seems to be a lot about paying off debts. How... Mm -hmm. um, Joy. Yeah. How Johnny went to get Davin out, but it's all about the debt he has. Um, how he says he owes this impossible amount, so they have to come up with this whole plan to get his, you know, killjoy warrant off him. So, but yeah, money and position and the warrant seems to trump a lot of things. I also noticed that Johnny and Davin both have last names, whereas Dutch was just Dutch. When we see her, her rack profile get pulled up, it just says her name is Dutch. But you notice that the gray-haired man calls her Yella or something when mm -hmm. when he encounters her and, and in the flashback. So. See, I, I didn't notice that, so 
But maybe they just thought it was such a cool name, the Rack, that they're like, Dutch, that's awesome. You you don't need a last name. You're you're like level five. You're cool. Because she's the Cher or Madonna or Beyonce of of the Reclamation Apprehension Coalition. Yep. I'm gonna go right. with Beyonce. I'm gonna go with Beyonce. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> it's the hair. <laughs> oh, and Alvis, back to Alvis for a second, he mentioned or actually it was Johnny, talked about the fact that Alvis has two factions, both church and resistance. So we are getting the sense of this building resistance to the company within kind of the, the, the lower ranks. I liked that line that he had about, you know, they call it war when the big guys win. What I want is a revolution. Yeah, that was very intriguing to see how the class lines might fracture later in the season. Yeah. Something's a brewing. But that whole what was that lower world called again? Westerly? Westerly. Yeah, the whole world of Westerly, I just found fascinating. Again, it's mm-hmm. that gritty, grungy sci-fi. It reminded me like of a combination of BSG and Blade Runner or something like that. It was very mm-hmm. neat. Mm. It, it is one of those things. It felt very similar to a lot of future world type stuff, but mm-hmm. but at the same time, original, which I appreciate. Like, it's yeah, similar, it's but different. Elements. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So shall we talk about stuff that made us happy? Yes. Yep. Stephanie, want to start us off? Yes. I I think really my favorite piece of this of this series so far and what really made me love the episode is the dynamic between Johnny and Dutch. I just think those two are great. Agreed. I love how uh, the bartenders was saying to Dutch at the beginning, you're doing everything together except sleeping together, but... <laughs> So we know that they are not romantically involved. <laughs> I, I know, but still, it's it's great to see how their relationship was built at the beginning, the opening scene where Johnny eventually says, well, what makes you think I'm in charge? Mm-hmm. And of course, we get Dutch explodes into her badassness. Yes. Yeah, that was not particularly subtle, but I still appreciated it that yeah. Johnny's like, you're assuming that I'm the person in charge here, you silly, silly men. Mm-hmm. It was nice. It is, It is like, a little obvious, but at the same time, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, 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 of course, you have to have that cheesy bit. My eyes are up here, and the gun is down there, of course. Uh, I was not expecting, because that was in the promo, my yeah. eyes are up here. I was not expecting his eyes to be focused on what looked like a penis. Like, I know, I know. That was and I'm not all, that's what I thought. disconcerting. <laughs> that was not what I thought the other half of that shot was going to be. <laughs> I would have started running at that point. <laughs> What's that in between her legs? Run! <laughs> yeah, because you're about to get shot, dumbass. <laughs> But after I thought about it, it made sense that that would be where she would store her gun, like in between her legs, because they would probably do an initial quick frisk down of just her sides and Mm -hmm. stuff. So it it made sense to me after a minute, but I was just thinking, why was it there? (laughs) Such a weird shot to reveal it. It's all just like, what? Amusing. (laughs) It was very amusing. I also really liked that that scene because, and and this might just be a particular lens I'm viewing it through because I've been watching Anita Sarkeesian's videos where she's been talking about tropes of about women in particular within the video game genre, and that entire opening scene kind of felt like it could have been a setup for some video game, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And and something she criticizes video games for is using violence against women to establish that this is a world with some real grit. And, you know, these guys over here, mm-hmm. they're the bad guys because they're beating up on women. And that's where that scene was. We're supposed to think that's where that scene was headed, right? That they were yeah. going to to assault poor Dutch. But no, you know, she she's the one who's in charge of this that whole thing. She planned it and she kicks those guys' ass. So I feel like it was a bit of the writers playing with some tropes and, and you know, having some fun with that. Yeah, I thought right, that which, was very smart. Right, which we know from watching Lost Girl and, and which, again, Michelle Leverett and a lot of the creative team here did Lost Girl. And, and there's a lot of that kind of thing in Lost Girl, which... I think is why a lot of us like Lost Girl, right? Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah, they know what they're doing, and they know how to take a trope about females and turn it on its head, which is great. But back talking just a little bit, I just I loved the dynamic that we saw between Johnny and Dutch. I, I loved how fiercely Dutch was willing to go to protect Johnny. You really got a sense of the bond that they share in this mm-hmm. episode. I do love that scene between the two of them. It's sort of the quiet scene. I think they're on Lucy, they're in the um. <laughs> that sounds kind of weird. <laughs> Would you prefer I said they're in Lucy? Because that also sounds weird. I like I like Fair on enough. Lucy. Fair enough. On Lucy is better. I'm just saying, my <laughs> options are limited here. <laughs> Go ahead. I apologize. I could say the ship, but I don't want to. I don't want to take anything away from Lucy. Lucy's I know being, she. So. She has her personality, and I love Lucy. <laughs> I love Lucy too, but uh, she's that, got some splaining to do. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> but I do like that scene between the two of them, where they're sort of, you know, Dutch is like, "I've got a half-ass plan," and and Johnny's like, "You know, I'll even take a quarter-ass plan." Yeah, <laughs> I know. I love that line. <laughs> it's just it's a very sort of siblingy relationship, yeah. and I appreciate it. It's yeah. nice. Yeah, they were very siblingy. Yeah, several times in this episode, you know, like, <laughs> and again, a moment where Lucy shined, where where Dutch tells Lucy to reestablish the whatever that thing is, the the link between the, the calm link, link between yeah. between Johnny and the ship, and she's like, tell him that I'm going to kick his ass. And Lucy says, ass kicking imminent or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's it. That's ass- it exactly. Exactly. Well, well, we knew that Lucy wasn't just a regular. I will speak Android type ship when she was landing the first time. She's like, you're going to watch it on fuel, Johnny. And he's like, all right, all right. You know, and I'm like, I like this ship. I nag because I care. Yeah. (laughs) Shout out to Tamsin McDonough, who voices Lucy. Yeah. Really? There are, it seems like four main characters on this show. There's, there are the three killjoys and then, and then Lucy. Chris and I were actually talking the other day about, the fact that I, I'm enjoying Lucy so far, and I, I think it's working, and it's not just an obnoxious talking thing, because sometimes yeah. when you have robotic things talking, it can be annoying. But I feel like they're downplaying it enough, because some of her comments, especially like the affirmative, ass-kicking imminent, you can kind of mm-hmm. miss it if you're not paying attention. So yeah. the, the jokes are in there, but they're they're subtle, so they're, she hasn't gotten obnoxious. Please don't make Lucy obnoxious. I love Lucy right now. I want her to remain lovable. Well, and she's not talking all the time, which I think helps. No. Yeah, I agree. What's so I funny agree. is that that scene with Dutch and Johnny where they're talking about, you know, half-ass and quarter-ass plans, it seems to be in like a really chill lounge with a bar. And I'm like, wow, Lucy is decked out. I mean, she's got a look of being lived in, but 
I'm like, I really like this room they're in. <laughs> yeah, it was nice. Yeah. And then the sleeping quarters were a little more cramped. They seemed, you know, it, I like the look of Lucy. And the bridge just looks awesome. With all the techno gadgets and buttons and everything. I like the look of the show generally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it was so pretty. It's so pretty. Chris Grismer did a did an excellent job setting up the look of the show. I really, I like it. Mm-hmm. Is that the production designer? No, Chris Grismer was the director of the, oh, the okay. pilot here. But I loved that it started out with that deep, beautiful orange color of the sands. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like oftentimes when shows are set in kind of a dystopian future, the color palette tends to be very muted. What is what is that you're saying, Chris? Like bleached? Why? What was it? Bleach bypass. It was like okay. why? <laughs> why movies? Why always with the bleach bypass? More bleach bypass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're right. Is that sort of washed out bluish tint to everything? That's bleach yeah. bypass. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And for like, some shows, that's fine. Like Battlestar Galactica, that works. It, it's a very dark show, Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Uh, but Killjoys, I think, really distinguishes itself because it's very, there's some great, really colorful bits of of sets, I guess. <laughs> bits of sets that I think we're even going to see regularly. But even some of the throwaway scenes in this episode were just really bold, beautiful colors, and I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that it goes with the tone of the show, that it's not a dark, bleak show. It's meant to have a lot of humor. And things like even the costuming from the dress that Dutch was wearing or the red box and things like that, yeah, those bits of color showing through so it's not just a washed-out gray palette was really neat. And the lighting is excellent, too. There mm-hmm. all these scenes where there's sort of really interesting lighting. I know this is the production team for Orphan Black. Did you take note, Chris, if it's the same DP? I did not. Sorry. Okay, we'll have to look that up. But yeah, I I agree. Like the when Dutch was sitting in Belle's office, that beautiful warm orangey light that was coming in through the window behind her. I yeah, there were some really great lighting moments in the episode. That scene was gorgeous, and part of what I liked about it too was for somehow they made her look really really young in that scene. I mean. Mm. Not that she doesn't. You know what I'm saying, though, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I realized that that sounded not like how I meant it. <laughs> I also really liked about Dutch that she's not just this typical hard-ass badass that we get a lot of the time yeah. from from female characters, especially, but male characters, too. That if you're going to be a badass fighter, you have to just always have that same kind of hard-ass personality. But Dutch is, like, really warm. She can she can be stern and be forceful when she needs to be because of her job. But that was not my impression of her generally, that she's just this really cold person. Agreed. Mm-hmm. And it's nice because they've they've introduced this idea of, like, a dark past, too. But the fact that that hasn't defined her how it often does in these sorts of things, where the person does end up, like you were talking about, where they're just sort of dark and tough and whatever and that's distant from people and things yes. like that there you go well it looks like a, a dark and intriguing past that might have shaped her and given her her skill set but hasn't taken away her compassion or allowed her not allowed her to build relationships with people like johnny so exactly yeah i think that made me happy was the bartender i don't know if he had a name but pre oh, pre pre yeah I don't know, but he just seemed like a really cute gay bartender, especially in that first scene with Touch. (laughs) 
And I liked when at the end of the episode where he handed, he was going to hand him their drinks and he asked for Davin's papers. But when, and Johnny said, oh, he's just passing through. He's like, oh, can't serve him then. But you look really thirsty. Yeah, wink. Yeah. <laughs> the algae beer. The algae beer. Yep. But yeah, I hope he shows up again. He's he's just fine. I think he will. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing I liked, the music. I thought the music was great. Yes. It was done by Trevor Yule, who does the music on Orphan Black. Oh, okay. Yeah, he, he does the music, and he's awesome. Oh. I still have to get the Orphan Black soundtrack. And it seems like he composed all of the music in this episode, even the songs with lyrics that we heard, like oh. when we got that great sequence of... Dutch coming down the hallway with the necklace toss and, and all mm. of that, which I love that song. I thought that was a great song. He composed that. Yep. Okay. Wicked World, he said the name of that was. I don't know about the other various songs, but all the ones that were talked about a lot on Twitter that I saw, he had written. So I think at the very end of the episode, they might have credited a different writer for the westerly folk song that was being sung in the bar mm -hmm. but that was the only song that had a credit at the end so that might be the only one he didn't write okay thanks for checking mm -hmm. i think i was initially a little worried during that opening sequence with the first song during the action sequence with johnny and dutch because i was like oh boy is this going to be what i call cwized where they always put some pop song in every like two minutes but i liked you know, as the episode went on, I liked the music and it got, it wasn't just commercialized kind of music, but yeah, it grew on me. But, you know, the score, I always appreciate. I thought it was great. Speaking of Lost Girl, as we, as we have, I liked that the alias that Davin was using on the ship was a nod to, she's a writer on Killjoys and she was the Lost Girl showrunner. Emily Andrus? Is it Andrus, though? Have we been mispronouncing her last name? Because they pronounced it Andrush on the oh, show. Oh, really? I didn't notice that. Emily, they if did. you were listening, please let us know. <laughs> we want to pronounce your name correctly. Is it like a French pronunciation? Andrush? Uh, no, it wouldn't saying. be. Okay. No, it, uh, the French pronunciation would be Andra. Andra. Uh, the, okay. <laughs> I am. I'm thinking her last name is either like Greek or Hungarian or something like that. So it could be that Andrash is the more correct pronunciation originally. But I don't know if she uses that pronunciation. I feel like I've heard other people call her Andras, Emily mm -hmm. Andras, mm -hmm. but I don't know that I've ever heard her say her name. And now I'm worried. No, Tell I, us if we're pronouncing it correctly, Emily. Send us an audio file of all the different ways we can mispronounce your name. She probably might do that just to mess with us. And then the correct pronunciation, she's probably not going to give it to us now. So. What? <laughs> Never mind. That was like one of those disclaimers at the end of a commercial for like a banking institution. <laughs> Member FDIC. <laughs> Yeah, Emily is a writer on Killjoys and, and also consulting producer. Another thing I liked about the show, the relationship between Dutch and Belle. Who is played by... Nora McClellan. Who I realized after her first scene was in an episode of Orphan Black. She got her hands stabbed by cutlery. Yes. Yes, she did. Poor Brenda the Birdwatcher. Hopefully that fate does not befall Belle. Well, Belle seems like a much nicer person than Brenda the Birdwatcher, so. 
Moving on to questions that we have after watching the first episode, I have quite a few, which is a good thing, I think, after a premiere. First of all, speaking of Davin's alias, why was he using an alias on the slave ship exactly? Well, it's not like a friendly place. <laughs> wanted and got a big-ass hit on him. I don't know. But that was the name that the hit was on, if oh. he was going by his real name. <laughs> I don't know. Just don't ask me. I'm just trying to come up with stupid theories. <laughs> Maybe it's safer. He's not exactly in a joyful situation. He doesn't seem to be an exactly upright citizen? No. Well, because there were the war nightmares that he was having, so they've also hinted at some sort of dark past for Davin, so whatever he's been doing for the past eight years. It's not... Not out of the realm of possibility that there's something that he's running from, which which would require an alias. It's true. And then why did somebody put a kill warrant out on Davin slash Kobe? What did he do to earn himself that warrant? I know. Well, I missed his alias. I'm like, Kobe? Kobe Beef? What? Kobe Bryant? What? I don't know. Anyway. So who is this handsome gray-haired man from Dutch's past? I thought it was her father. I had this moment, I am your father, Dutch. But that was just me. It's not out of the realm of possibility, but I don't think so. Yeah, I got the impression he was more of a trainer mentor mm. than her father, her biological father. He was right. more of a father figure, it seems like. Okay. That was just my initial reaction. So. I could be wrong, but that was my impression. Yeah, I mean, it, it could go either way. It could be both. And then, of course, I'm curious what's in the red box that he left her. The first one contained a weapon, but this could contain anything. Well, he said, when you receive a red box, you will have a task to perform. Mm -hmm. So that first task that we saw was clearly murder. So Yes, or at least torture. Yeah. Yeah. Something involving causing physical harm, most likely. Which clearly Dutch is running from that aspect of her life. She doesn't want to kill people unless it's in self-defense. Which I also liked. Yeah. Which, yeah, which I was really intrigued. We talked earlier about how she's not just a badass and she has vulnerability and depth and that she seemed really terrified, even as an adult, by what's in this red box and what tasks she might have to perform if she's going to have to kill again against her will. So I thought that was a great bit at the end. I must admit, because the same actor who was playing the the gray-haired man here, he was in the following episode of, of Dark Matter, which, and his character was killed in Dark Matter. And I found myself thinking, oh, don't worry, Dutch, he's good. Somebody took care of him. <laughs> he won't bother <laughs> yeah, you anymore. Right. <laughs> Recycle Canadian actors again. <laughs> I was like, just don't, just don't kill Amanda Bruegel and Dark Matter. So, <laughs> the actors have been joking about crossovers. So, mm -hmm. ah, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, Aaron Ashmore did say the Killjoys could kick the uh, Raza Cruz ass, and uh, Alex Malari Jr. replied, "He goes, I don't think so, but we'll do a, we'll do a crossover." So yeah, they were talking smack a little bit. So here's a question I have: Why did Dutch recruit Johnny to work with her? That's a good question. Was she lonely? Was she needing something specific 
from him? Yeah. Why why did she find this guy trying to steal her ship and said, you're hired? Yeah. Yeah. Why does Johnny seem to know so little about Dutch after five, however many years they worked together? And only now he's, when Davin's questioning Johnny about Dutch, he's kind of like, well, you know, Johnny seems not to be worried about it. I'm like, shouldn't you be? But to me, that that exchange was one of those, you know, Davin was asking questions that Davin thought were important, but they don't seem like they're important to Johnny. You know what I mean? Like, Johnny knows Dutch. But I'm still wondering if why or if they were important to Johnny at one point. I don't know. Mm. I think maybe for Johnny, I don't know him very well yet, but I, maybe he relies more on his instincts and more on what he feels from people kind of emotionally rather than what he can, knows about them can, you know, create a spreadsheet. Here are the facts that I know about Dutch. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the fact that he just felt like he could trust her and that was enough for him. Yeah. And that whole matter of he was trying to steal her ship and she didn't turn him in. So yeah, exactly. That <laughs> engendered that some, trust. some trust in me, you know, she, mm-hmm. she saw something in him. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. But I'd like to learn the backstory of their relationship. I'm sure we'll learn more. Mm-hmm. Finally, I do have the question of whether Davin owns more than one shirt. <laughs> Isn't that always the question for men in sci-fi? If women get their asses oogled, the men must be shirtless and only own one shirt. It's a double standard. Because he he was frequently he was frequently without shirt. I, I somebody was was responding to me as I was live tweeting the show and and I made a joke about you know does does he even own shirts and and she responded like what just what. And I, was, and I challenged her, I was like, how long do you think it'll last until he's shirtless again? She's like, five minutes tops. And it was right. <laughs> he put on the shirt, and then the next scene we see him, and he's sleeping shirtless. <laughs> as soon as the camera yells cut, he's like, God, bring me a sweater. I'm freezing my ass off on set. But whether you're shirtless or not, we would love to hear your thoughts about this episode. <laughs> nice segue. <laughs> Thank you. Send us your feedback to killjoys at askgenretv.com. You can leave a message on our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223. Or you can record a voice memo with your smartphone and email it to us. We're on Twitter and Tumblr as Killjoys Podcast. And thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you in the quad. 